parables in general. And so this week we're actually going to start with the first parable that Christ himself begins with here in Mark chapter 4. Let's go ahead and pray and then we'll read this and then we'll start. Holy Spirit, we now pray for your illumination. We pray that you'd help us. Help us to see these things from your word. We thank you that your word is true, that every word in your word is true. Thank you that it comes from the God who cannot lie. We pray, oh God, especially as we look at this parable, that you would give us grace to be convicted, to be encouraged, draw us closer to Christ. We thank you that you have not left us in the dark regarding the states of our hearts and regarding the person of Christ, as we'll see in this parable. God, help us. Help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Mark chapter 4, 1 through 9, we'll read this, and then we're going to jump. Um, we'll, we'll go ahead and read 10 through 12. There's three verses there. Those are the verses we talked about last week, so you'll kind of see why we, we did those verses first. So, um, And then we'll read all the way down to verse uh, 20. Okay, so chapter 4, 1 through 20. He began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, the sower went out to sow. As he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he was saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables, so that while seeing, they may see and not perceive, and while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? Let me pause there and demonstrate what Christ is saying here is that this parable, in a sense, is kind of like the paradigm for how we are to read all the other parables. So this is a very instrumental parable. It's very important. Okay, so verse 13, uh, 14. The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown. Among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And so you're looking at this parable, and it's very clear that you're having really there's two sections here, obviously. Okay, so the first section is. Really emphasizing Christ, you can call it Christology, who Christ is. The second section is dealing with discipleship, what it means to be a Christian, what it doesn't mean to be a Christian, who's a true Christian, what that looks like. And so in both of these sections, if you look, let's say in that first section here, 1 through 9. Okay, in 1 through 9, first of all, in verse 1, it says, He began to teach again by the sea. Now we've seen Christ teach already again by the sea. That's why he says it. A lot of times he's teaching in the boat, remember, because there's so many people. And we can assume that that's the same 
thing here. The reason he's teaching in a boat is because it tells us such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. Remember, we talked about how that was the common way of teaching in those days. They, they would sit down to teach. So he's sitting down in this boat. He has people, I'm assuming, in the thousands in front of him. And he's teaching. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. And he's teaching them. Verse 2. And he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching. Now look at this. Okay, Verse 3 begins by saying, listen. Or hear, okay? Behold. That's how verse 3 starts. Listen, behold. How does this section end? Look at verse 9. And he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Remember in the Old Testament where it says, hear, O Israel, God is one. So whenever you hear this phrase, hear or listen, that means hear or listen because Christ is about to say something very, very important. So that's what he's doing here. And then he's couching what he's saying with this with this parable. Okay, so... Um, He says, the sower went out to sow. He went out to sow. Now, why is this? Again, this is a, this first section here is pointing to the sower and who the sower is. Who's the sower? Well, this is, this is a a picture of Christ. If you look at chapter one, verse 36, you're going to see way back here when we were going through this. No, chapter one. um, Anyway, so they went out. They went out. And Christ is saying that the the apostles were sent out. They're the sent ones. Christ is going out. Christ is the one who's going out to sow. There's two ways to sow. Now, to sow is another word for for planting. Okay, There's two ways to sow in Palestine. The first way is that you would scatter seed while walking. The second way is supposedly you'd have a donkey and you'd have a sack of seed and you'd put the sack of seed on the donkey and the donkey would do the walking and you would do the sowing as the donkey's walking. The other thing that's important to remember is that um, in this culture... They didn't have large fields as far as your crops go. So in Clovis, you know, you have all these crop circles. You have a lot of crops in, on these circles. And so all your crops are contained in a huge area. Well, in this, in this culture, there were narrow strips of land. That would be your area. And so on this narrow strip of land, you're going through there and you're trying to sow the seed. Um, and, and here's the thing, though. If you look at what is, is happening, okay, it doesn't seem like he's being very careful when it comes to this seed, if you notice. I mean, this stuff's going everywhere. And it doesn't say, you know, like over here, you could assume maybe if it was in Clovis and the guy, you have this seed blowing everywhere and because of the wind, of course. But here, you know, it's not necessarily windy. You don't have any reason to believe that. So what he's saying here and what he's doing is that Christ, as the sower, is a very unsparing sower. He's, he's almost carelessly just throwing that stuff out. And he's adamant about something, anything growing in this soil. He's just tossing it, casting it out. Um, And we're going to see the importance of this in a minute. The other thing to consider there is this, okay? So when you're looking at the sower, that's Christ. The seed, of course, here is, is what? It's the gospel, okay? And the soil is the person's heart. And so that's why there's four different types of soil, okay? Here's what you look at, though. If you have Christ who is unsparing when it comes to throwing this seed out here, and we know that in Christ, especially when you're seeing, when we go, let's say, in a few more chapters from now, we're going to see that when Christ sends these guys out, the disciples, the apostles, they're called to do the same thing that Christ has already begun. He's already started in the sense of going around, teaching them, casting out demons. He's doing things that he then commissions his disciples to go out to do, and we can, by extension, assume that these are the things that we ourselves are called to still go out and do. So like yesterday, when, when, when you guys are going in evangelism, Evangelizing around here, and you just throwing those those gospel cards out at every door. I'm assuming, right? That's how we're doing. I mean, they're you know they're not answering. You're like, boom! I'm still going to leave a gospel track. 
Someone does answer, boom, I want to tell you about the gospel. Here's a gospel track. Everything's about the gospel, right? We have gospel tracks. The beauty about a gospel track is you can take that thing anywhere in Clovis, and we have enough people here, we could really saturate Clovis with the gospel. We really could. If everybody, you know, like on a weekly basis, I guarantee you, you're going to people who are at the supermarket, you're going to the gas pump, and you take one of those tracks, you can be sticking those things everywhere. You can, guys, you go to the urinal. Uh, the urinal is a great place to put a gospel. I'm not kidding. You put a gospel track on there, you have, a, you have a captured audience right there. They will read it. I promise you. And so the point is, is that's what we're called to do is just get the gospel out everywhere. Let the Lord deal with the results. We saw that last week, right? When it comes to the results, when it comes to who believes and who, who is given this insight into the kingdom and the mystery of the gospel, leave that to the Lord. You go out and you cast it and just be liberal with it. Just everywhere. Liberal, not of course in the political sense. Liberal in the sense of being being almost careless with it. Just throw the stuff as far as the gospel goes. Just throw it out there. Okay? Um, and in doing so, because what are we doing? Something's got to catch. Right? It's got to catch. And so we know that God is the one who gives the in- increase. But that's what this guy's doing. Okay? So the second thing, the second section is dealing with the soils. Now, this is where things get very, very uh, personal in a sense. Because as we're going through these four soils, okay, ask yourself, am I this soil? Am I that soil? Am I this soil over here? And I guarantee, um, in, a sim- in, a, in a way, okay, so a lot of times when you're looking at this, these soils, there's four soils. And a lot of times, it's very easy for us to categorize people and say, oh, I'm, the, I'm a third soil Christian, or I'm a fourth soil Christian, or I'm a second soil Christian, or this person's a first. Actually, um, and there is truth to that, there's definitely merit to that, but if you're going through here, and we're going to look at this today, there's a sense in which um, not only are the soils conditions of our hearts, they're also conditions that we ourselves can get into as Christians and be tempted by as Christians, Okay, and I'll, and I'll explain this. So look at, verse, look at verse 13. So this is when Christ begins to explain the parable that he just told. Okay, so the first soil that we're dealing with is in verse, um, eventually 15, but let's start in 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand the parables? The sower sows the word. Verse 15, here's the first soil. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. Okay, so you can imagine. This is the guy or person or woman. You go to this person. You tell them the gospel. They're like, get out of my face. Don't ever talk to me about Jesus again. I want nothing to do with that name. I want nothing. And so you do, right? You're like, all right. <laughs> you move on. Here's the thing, though, okay? And that's, that's if you look, if you examine why it is that people respond in this way to that, why would you respond to this good news, the, evangel- the, the gospel, right? Evangelism, gospel, it all means good news. You bring good news to somebody, and they're like, get out of my face. Even if you're kind and gentle, they say, I, I, you know, that's fine. I appreciate you telling me that. I want nothing to do with this, though. Why is that? If you think about how, 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 now we, of course, having been given insight into the truth of the gospel, we look at this, and we're, we're saying, how can you be so crazy? To reject the gospel without even considering it, right? But if you think about it, what's going on here is number one, pride, right? So you can be in a situation where you're like, you know what? I don't need to hear that. I have everything going on. I'm fine. I don't. I don't. I don't need help. I don't know. I don't. You know, I'm not concerned about the afterlife. I'm not concerned about my sin. I have everything going on. Everything's fine. Why do I need that? The second thing, though, is, um, and I think this is probably they go hand in hand, but fear. 
You know, because if I examine what the gospel is, and somebody comes and tells me what the gospel is, let's say I'm a lost person, and everything is good in my life, everything's going how I want it to go, I got a good job, everything, right? I can, I can do what the world does, I can sin all I want. And then somebody comes up to me and they tell me the gospel, and then they make the claim that this gospel is not just, you know how people are, they're like, well, that's cool for you, but not for me. But then you come with the gospel and you say, by the way, God commands all persons everywhere to repent. The God I believe in is the God that you'll stand before one day. You are commanded to turn to this one true God. Now, here's the thing. If everything's going good in my life, and if I love my sin, and I'm enslaved to my sin, and somebody comes up and tells me that, the first thing I'm going to say is get out of my face. Because I'm happy where I am. I'm content with my sin. And if I begin to investigate and examine these gospel claims, and I find out that this stuff is true, then all of a sudden I have a real problem. That means I can't do what I love. That means I can't, I can't continue worshiping the false gods that I'm worshiping. Everything in my life is going to change, and I don't want to change. I, I want nothing to do with that. So that's a lot of times, and there's probably more reasons than that, but you know, like in Romans 1, you're talking about suppressing the truth and unrighteousness when it comes to things of God. Okay, so you, that would be like atheist agnostics. You know, they're not atheists. It says they suppress the truth that they know about God. God has clearly made himself plain to every person, Romans 1. But they suppress it. They don't want to hear it. Why? Because they have a conscience. And the conscience is a very uncomfortable thing for unbelievers. Because the conscience is going off, crying out that they're guilty. And yet at the same time, what do they do? They either turn to the one true God and be forgiven. Or because of their sin, they don't want to do that. And so they try to quiet their conscience. And so you bring the gospel to them is going to cause that conscience to kick up. They don't want that. So they gotta, they got to suppress it. Get out of here, right? So that's the first person. Here's the thing, though, okay? Ask yourself this, all right? Here's an example, actually, of the Jews. The first time Jesus Christ preaches the gospel, <laughs> y'all remember what happens? They try to throw him off a cliff. The very first time the Jews encountered, the first time that Christ and Luke preaches the gospel, they take him to the edge of a cliff and try to throw him off. Okay, why? They're convicted. They know what he's saying is true. They don't want to hear it. He's got it. This guy's got to die. Okay. Here's the other thing, though. Ask yourself this. Okay. Um, ask yourself this. Is there anything in your own life regarding the gospel that you have this mindset towards? So, in other words, is there anything in your life that, when it comes to the claims of the gospel, because they're uncomfortable, because they don't really jive with the way perhaps you want things to be? You just kick it out, reject, don't want anything to do with it, don't come and talk to me about it. I don't want to, I don't even want to go there. You know what I mean? So, and, and I'm saying this because there was a man named Peter, and poor Peter's going to be an example for a lot of these soils. But Peter, in Mark chapter 8, same, same gospel that we're in, Mark chapter 8, 31 through 33, um, he has just confessed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Peter has just confessed that. Jesus has just told him that he is blessed because the Father has revealed to Peter that Jesus is the Son of God. The next section in 31, it says, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Can you imagine that? <laughs> he takes the Messiah aside and he starts rebuking the Messiah after he has just confessed that the Messiah is the Son of God. It's amazing, right? Like, how could Peter do this? And yet we look at ourselves, and I promise you, at least for me, there are things in my life that I would probably do the same thing. You know, as far as just being foolish enough to say, you know what, God, I don't, I'm not going to believe that. It's right there in the Word, right? But I'm not, I'm not going to believe it. 
predestination comes to mind, things like total depravity. We're talking about that in, in uh, catechism class. Right? These things are very uncomfortable. You're like, man, I don't want to believe. What's right here in the Word? <laughs> so here Peter, he's coming and he's saying, Jesus, what you're saying is ludicrous. You, you can't, I mean, everything you just said, don't say those things, Jesus. And then look what Jesus tells him here in verse um, 33. But turning around and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Okay, so he says, get behind me, Satan. Which is a really good place. If you ever run into a Roman Catholic and they want to point out, you know, Jesus said that upon this rock, etc. The very next thing is Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) So their Pope, you know, in a sense, is is, uh, certainly being attributed there. Now, it's not to say Peter is Satan. He's not saying that. But what's he saying? He's saying, remember, going back to even Genesis 3, when there's enmity between the woman and the serpent. Okay? Anytime that you're in league with Christ, you're going to be at war with the serpent. Anytime that you're not in league with Christ, you are technically on the serpent's side. And so that's what he's doing there. It's a reference to say, listen, if you're not for me, you're against me in this, Peter. So get behind me, right? You're not setting your mind on the right things. And so um, even as Christians, we can have these tendencies to really be uncomfortable with certain things that scriptures teach. Um, it can even, you know, a big one is sin, right? How many, what about the sin in our life? And somebody, you have a brother or sister come and they, they're like, hey, you know, I see you're doing this and I just want to talk to you about it. And you're like, boom, get out of here. I don't want to talk about that. Right? That's a big one for all of us probably. There's always that initial, that initial like, who are you to tell me? You know, that's for any of us. But that's exactly what Peter is doing here. That's exactly what this is. It's like, because these things are uncomfortable and true, just get out of here with them. I don't want to hear them. So you don't want to do that, right? Um, but that's the wayside. That's the first soil. The second soil is the stony ground soil. So look at verse 5 and 6. Um, of chapter 4. So this is the seed that fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched and because it had no root, it withered away. Now, this is uh, Palestine is limestone country. So what I mean by that is that a lot of times you would have dirt and then right underneath the dirt would be limestone. So on top, you couldn't really tell. It looks like just it looks like soil, but right beneath that is limestone. Now you can't really grow much on limestone, right? So you cast a seed there, and it looks like because that limestone is going to warm the dirt up. So the, the plant is going to grow very rapidly, very quickly, but it has no root. It's, there, there's no way for it to actually absorb any nutrients. And so because of that, once the sun hits that plant, it withers, it scorches. So what is Christ talking about here? Verse 16, he tells us. Verse 16, in a similar way, there are the, these are the ones on whom seed was sown in the, on the rocky places. Who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. Which is complicated. So they receive it with joy. They're excited about it. And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. Now again, think about how interesting this is. Now we all have met, unfortunately, I'm sure, people who started out well, they were excited, very zealous, and then eventually they fall off. And they're not walking with the Lord anymore. They have no desire to walk with the Lord. They have no interest. And I'm sure, I know, I unfortunately have known a lot of people like that. And they, they, they usually start out very energetic about the Lord, very zealous. I remember growing up, you know, people would rush down the, you, maybe you've been in those churches, people are rushing down the altars and, and weeping and crying and all of that. And then the next week we're partying together. 
And I was there and I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. You, I remember you going to the, the altar last week and now you're doing the same thing. Like, what happened, right? And so they're excited. They're convicted. They hear something emotionally stimulating, spiritually speaking, and they're, they're fired up, you know, and they want to they live for the Lord. But what's he say? The second that persecution and trials come along because of the word, they fall away. They're apostates. They're not real converts, in other words. Okay, um, here's the thing on this. The word tribulation here was a word that meant to, to press, to squeeze. It was a, rule, a roller used by the Romans to press wheat. That's where the word tribulation comes from in, in, in you know, long story short, in, in our modern, modern parlance. It's a, it's, it was a roller that they would use to press wheat. Okay, so what does that tell us spiritually? Well, here's the thing that you have to realize when you come to Christ, right? There are consequences and demands for the Christian. So when you come to Christ, you are made a new creation. And because you're a new creation, your life, your perspective, your desires, all of these things should be changed. Now, it's complicated because you also have the old man who continues to to wage war against that new man. And so there is that conflict that is real. And in fact, speaking of this, do the disciples ever fall away because of the word? Absolutely. When Christ is arrested, where the disciples go, they fall away because of the word. It's the same language, actually, that's used here. They fall away. They scatter. When the sheep is arrested, or excuse me, the shepherd is arrested, the sheep, they, what do they do? They, they, they run. They get out of there. And they fall away. And so Christians at times, and so I'm saying this because if you're looking, again, examine your life and ask yourself, okay, where... Where have I, in the moment of, let's say, these, these uh, counting the cost scenarios, where if I take a stand for Christ, it's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be persecuted. I'm going to face some trials because of it. And so what do we do? We cower down, right? We don't do it. And I, think, I know, speaking about myself, I've certainly done that far too often. That's no excuse, though. Right? So what Christ is calling us to do is to not fall away whenever trials or afflictions come along. Spurgeon says people come forward under an emotional appeal and say a prayer and at once fall back into sin, converted in five minutes and have nothing to do with godliness the rest of their life. Okay, So if you're thinking again about our lives... Um, and you're asking, our, you're asking yourself, okay, so think about the context that Mark is writing here. Mark is writing this to Christians who are going through what? Hor- horrid persecution. Um, I just got a painting of these Christians, and you might have seen it. These Christians are huddled together in the middle of the arena, the gladiator, the Colosseum in Rome. They're huddled together in the first century, and uh, there's one guy standing up praying, and the rest are kind of on their knees praying. And you have you have lions and tigers coming from underneath the ground there to go, and they're about to maul these Christians. And then around this group that's praying, you have Christians that are on stakes already burned alive. And that's the scenario that, that, those are the people that Mark's writing this gospel to. People that are suffering that. People that are experiencing that. And so this is not, you know in Romans where it says, if you believe in your heart, or if you, if you confess with your mouth that, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And we all consider that to be like a mantra almost. Is, hey, if you say this, then boom, you're saved. Do you realize though, this in Romans, the context, the backdrop of that, think about, again, this is in Romans. What was happening to the Roman Christians? They were being required to say, Caesar is Lord. And if they don't say Caesar is Lord, if they turn around and say, you know what, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar, they're going to that Colosseum. They're going to their death. 
And so when Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, he's saying, if you don't pinch the incense to Caesar, if you confess that Caesar is not Lord and Jesus Christ is Lord, that's what he's talking about. And so when you're looking at this, right, when you compare that with our own lives and the sufferings that we go through, I mean, it's really nothing. Right? It really is. If, in comparison, the, the things that they were going through, what, in other words, my point is, is this. If Christ is calling on those Christians not to cave in, not to give in, in the midst of that kind of tribulation and affliction and persecution, He is surely calling us to do the same thing in whatever persecution, tribulation, or trials we're going through. To not cave in, to not compromise, to not, to not um, in His own language, He says... Uh, to not fall away, right? To not fall away. So count the cost, all right? Um, here's the thing on this, okay? Let me give you one scripture verse out of this. This is this is 1 John um, 2, 19. And this, this is a bridge for the next soil, okay? So when you're talking about this, why is it? Think about why it is that we would not want to... Why is it that we would not want to suffer for Christ? Besides the fact that nobody wants... I mean, of course, nobody technically wants to suffer. But really, what is it? Is it not a, an excessive love for this life, an excessive love for the world, an excessive love for our, our conveniences, an excessive love for my, my well-being, right? All these things that when we come to Christ, we have to, we have to give those to Christ. Because He's sovereign. He knows what we can handle. So give those things to Him. And if He decides that, hey, when you take a stand for Christ, you're going to suffer this persecution or these trials, that's okay. Because Christ has prepared that for me. And He'll be there with me in the midst of it. Okay, so 1 John chapter 2 says, you turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, and then we'll look at a passage out of James. Okay, this is verse 19. Excuse me. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. Right? It's very clear. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Right? So these lusts that we have for the world that are excessive is why we typically don't want to suffer for Christ. Because of these other things that we that we love more than Christ, um, and then the other the other part is um, well, actually, we don't have time for this. I was going to look at John fifteen, where it talks about we can paraphrase it when Christ is talking about how you and me in Christ we are the branches and He is the vine. Okay, and in order to have this strength to withstand persecution and trial. We have to be connected to the vine because that's where we're getting our nutrients. That's where we're getting our power. Okay, and so there, there are ways to kind of look at this. But here's the thing. Again, Christians themselves are, are prone to do this. And if that's you, if that's me, let's repent, right? Turn from that. And as that situation arises next time, we'll, we'll act differently. Okay, so verse 7, the third, the third ground here, verse 7. Other seed fell among the thorns and the thorns came up and choked it and it yielded. Uh, no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil. And as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. Okay, so those are the two types of soil. Now look at down at verse 18. He's going to explain this third soil. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word. So they hear it. 
But the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. You can see why what we just read would would tie in with this, right? Because what is going on, and I think this is probably a bigger challenge for me anyways than for, uh, in a sense, than the other one. Because I I don't know if the persecution for us is that hot, to be honest, yet. But this really is a problem. I think this what right here is a very difficult scenario for every single one of us. It is like what Paul Washer said, who's been missionary across the world. And he says the hardest place to be a Christian is in the United States of America. Why? Because of this. Think about all the things that we have at our disposal. All the worries, all the riches, all the gadgets, everything in our life. The busyness, the schedules. These things that always are drawing us away from the things of the Word. And so here is Jesus and He's saying, The seed was sown, they hear the Word. Verse 19, think about what He says here, okay? There's three things. The worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things. And actually a better, more appropriate, more literal phrase of this would be something like the distractions of the age. The distractions of the age keep us from will really keep this seed that has been sown in us from germinating. So the seed germinates, the seed is, 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 is growing, but what happens is, is the weeds come up and they choke it out. They strangle it. The word there for choke is to strangle. It's the same word for when the hogs run into the water and they're strangled to death by the water. When we see the, the demoniac, he's healed and the, the, the demons go to these pigs, they rush off the cliff. It's the same word there. These pigs are strangled to death, suffocated by water. That's the word Christ is using here when it comes to the distractions of the age. Have we been suffocated by the things of the world? Now, some things we have to be in tune with. you know. So you can think of things like politics, like sports, like the news, all these. Those are fine things. You, you, we need to be up-to-date about what's going on, right? But there's also a, a sense in which a lot of times, um, you know, Christians, and, and it's almost like, and, and I see this with, in Lubbock, we have, a, we have um, like with, with some of the, a lot of times with, with college students at Texas Tech, we, we uh, interact with some of the conservative political groups, right? And you go up to these guys, and you try to bring the gospel to these guys, and all they want to talk about is politics. All they want to talk about is, is this and this and this. And you're like, all right, guys, but what about, what about Christ, right? What about the gospel? Are you guys right with the Lord? And they're like, yeah, well, I'm not worried about that yet. You know, we've got to figure out this, this problem over here first. So those kinds of things, right? So it's like, hey, there's, there's nothing wrong with being up to date on what's going on in the world and with politics and all, the, and all that stuff. However, there is something wrong when that stuff begins to choke out what is better, which is the Word of God, which is a very real temptation for all of us. And it doesn't, again, these, these can be things that are good. Um, sports is another one. Sports is a big deal, I think, just, just in our culture in general. You know, it's almost like, just in other words, think about the time that you spend doing things. And when you're considering what I'm doing with my spare time, ask yourself, are these things choking out the Word? Okay, Are the things that I'm caught up in choking the Word spiritually? Is it choking that? Okay, And, and again, um, I mean, what Christian could pop their hand up and say, I have no idea what you're talking about. I've never gone through that. I've never done that. That's the point, right? So there is a sense in which, yes, number one, this can be a false convert. Because what happens is, again, over time, eventually, in a false convert, that, that stuff that's choking the Word is going to become so extreme that they're going to have no desire for the Word anymore. Because of the distractions of the age. Okay? However, for a Christian, when a Christian is going through this and they're struggling with this, they know that, they recognize that, they're fighting it, they turn away from that, they want to scrap everything that's, that's choking the Word. 
There's this real true desire and hunger to repent and turn from all that. Um, and so think about, there's one example here that Paul uses. And, and um, you know, this is, this is somebody who was not turned out to be a false Christian, it looks like. His name's Demas. Remember Demas, 2 Timothy 4, verse 10. Paul says, For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Another person, you know who this reminds me of? Uh, actually, you know who the, the last soil reminded me of? is Mark. The guy who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Because when they go on the missionary journey, he, he leaves Paul and Barnabas behind because of the tribulation. Because it was tough. It was, it was difficult. Um, and so again, the point is, is that this can afflict any Christian. But what we have to do is recognize that, examine our lives in light of this and say, you know what, these areas have choked out the Word, so I'm going to, by God's grace and by His strength and by the means of grace that He provides, I'm going to do away with that. I'm going to turn from that. Let today, let right now be the moment that we say no more of this and turn from it, okay? The fourth soil is good soil at last, right? The fourth soil is good soil. Now, I used to see this, this whole, the, 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 the whole thing as far as um, the soils. There's four different types of soils. I used to look at this, and, and I, I think I probably read someone who perhaps kind of led me down this path. I can't remember specifically, but um, or it could have just been my, my sinful nature, I guess. Here's the thing, though. If you're looking at the four soils... Okay? And you're like, okay, only one of these soils is good. So that means one out of every four persons is going to be a convert. Right? Now that's, that's fair to look at it that way. But when you do that, like I used to do, you're missing something completely. It's the fruit that the good soil produces. Think about this. Okay, So when he says this in verse, eight, uh, verse 20, okay, chapter 4, verse 20, look at what Christ says. And those are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the good soil. And they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Now, first of all, this, even in that time, would be considered a miraculous crop. So you know what? Is it was something like like this kind of this kind of increase would be astronomical. It would be beyond anything that can can happen naturally. So what are they already telling us? Christ is telling us this can only happen supernaturally. The good soil, the seed that finds good soil, can only happen because the supernatural God, the sovereign God of the universe, has prepared that soil, cultivated that soil, got that soil ready for the for the gospel seed to be planted in the soil and go and produce fruit. But also notice what it says: thirty fold, sixty fold, a hundred fold. Here's the thing, okay? When somebody's converted. Don't you know, they go out and they start telling people about the Lord. And they go out and they share the gospel. And they go out and live in light of what Christ has told us. Guess what happens? Other people get converted. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. For every one convert, I guarantee you, for every one true convert, there will be others who are brought in through that convert. See that? So it's not just, hey, one out of every four person is a good soul. No, not necessarily. Not at all. We're talking about a... Massive ingathering. I mean, today, yes, nominally, I, I get a lot of the numbers are nominal, but, but I mean, how many Christians are on earth today? Something like 2 billion. How many people are in the world? 6, 7 billion. What does that tell us, right? Right here. Again, I know the numbers are inflated, but, but that does point to something that's true. Okay, so in other words, what should we expect? Expect people to get converted. Think about what's, what, what kind of soil is natural soil. You know what soil is, nat, what, what soil is natural? The soil that's hard. The soil that's uncultivated. The, the soil that's producing weeds. The soil that is not natural is the good soil. But we have a, a God, like we saw last week, who is right now working on people in your life, working up, upon people in this community who don't know the Lord today. 
And yet, through your efforts, by God's grace, working through you, as you go forth and tell them about Christ, people in your life, people at work, as you're handing out these gospel tracts that you'll never know if anyone even receives them and calls upon the name of the Lord, I promise you, because we have this in the Word, right? We know that people are going to be brought in. And when people are brought in, guess what happens? God is glorified all the more. The purpose of someone's conversion is not so, you know, we're happy for them and we are happy for them, but the ultimate purpose is so that they turn around and worship God and glorify God with their lives. And um, a lot of times we don't know, like Logan was just telling us about, what was it, January, Logan, where he was, he, was, he was ministering, he was talking to some lady about abortion, she was, she was pregnant, and she was, she was decided on getting an abortion. Logan reaches out, starts talking to her, Logan just found out, what, this week, that she ended up not getting the abortion. He didn't know that, but because of that interaction that he had had with her, what happens? She doesn't get the abortion. I could tell you, I could tell you with, with on two hands very easily stories that I've heard as far as people reaching back years later who come back and they're like, hey man, remember that time over here and, and you know, you said this or did that? And it's not, I promise you, it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit working through the simple gospel proclamation, working on that soul, and then ultimately they're going to get converted whether it's on the spot, years later, whether or not we ever know it. But that's going to happen. And that's good soil that God is preparing. Now, here's the thing, though. As Christians, for us, right, how do we look at this? Not just in light of evangelism, but going back to Christian discipleship, we're called to produce good fruit, to bear good fruit. Okay, we're called to bear good fruit. So as we, again, examine our lives, remember what Christ says um, in Ephesians 2. He says, Paul says, you has God quickened. When you were dead in your trespasses and sin, God comes and he quickens you. What that means is he makes you alive. What that means to be made alive is that now, because I'm alive, I'm going forth with a different mentality, a different mindset, a different attitude, not just in how I evangelize, but even in my own life with sin, my own life with my wife, with my my family, how I approach work. So in light of everything that's going on in my life, I can bear fruit. Bearing fruit is not just sharing the gospel. Bearing fruit is in every aspect of my life. I am submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in these areas. I'm giving these areas to Him. My family is not mine. It belongs to the Lord. How then should I respond to my family, lead my family in light of that, right? The work, the job that I have, God has placed me there for a certain purpose. It's no longer just mine. It's no longer just, even, you know, our finances. These things are God's. Our car, they're God's. The food, everything that we have. It's God's now. It's all, and we see that. It's always been His, but now we recognize that. And in light of that, we're saying, okay, how then should I live? And in living in light of that, you know what's going to happen? You're going to bear fruit. And that fruit is going to go towards the kingdom of God and glorifying God. And that does include evangelism, but of course, it's, it's certainly more holistic than, than just evangelism. Okay. Now, let me give you three things to remember. Number one, uh, rejection happens. And we just talked about that, right? So when you're going, you're sharing the gospel, rejection is going to happen. That's the question the disciples had. Why, is, why are other people rejecting this? Why are we being persecuted for this? And yet you're the Messiah. What's going on? So Christ gives them this parable. Say, so no, there is good soil, okay? So respect, uh, or excuse me, um, don't expect rejection. But at the same time, when it does happen, don't get discouraged by it. Don't quit. Right? When you're persecuted and when you're facing trials and you mess up and you're like, man, I didn't handle that well. I caved. I, I compromised. Well, get back up. Be like the, like the disciples. You know, they get back on their feet and God uses them. Think about how God used these 11 disciples. 
who will will totally sell Christ out. <laughs> They're not going to stand the test. And yet, God turns around and uses them. Okay. Um, secondly, don't depend on us. Don't depend on you. Don't depend on ourselves. We can't depend on ourselves. All of this is a work of God. The power comes from God. The source is God. Remember, we're just the branches in the vine. We have to have the vine that is the one that produces this. So if you're looking at it and you're like, man, I don't know how I can, how I can live like this and produce fruit in my life. You know, it's so hard. I, I succumb to temptation all the time. Amen to that, man. You can't do this unless God is working. Unless God is, and He will work. If, if that seed has been planted on good soil, if you're in Christ, it's going to bear fruit. Um, and then lastly, if you're looking at this, and you're not good soil. Your heart is not good. Your heart is not being converted. Your heart is not, you're not born again. Then today's the day to repent, to turn from that state, right? Because tomorrow's not promised to any of us. And, um, you know, ultimately it's, it's, it's like this, right? Salvation is not just so you can go to heaven. That is part of it. Salvation is not just so you can stay out of hell. That is part of it. Salvation ultimately is Christ laid down his life for my sins. And he calls me to lay down my life for him. And so when I do that, now I live in light of what he's done. And so, and here's the thing. You know, this world, whatever this world says they can offer, it is always empty. It's always passing away. We know that. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. And then you got to go look for something else. And then you go and then then you got to look for something else. And that's life. And it's miserable. But when you come to Christ, there is a peace, there is a joy, because you're going to go through troubles, you're going to go through trials, you're going to go through persecutions. But in Christ, there is a joy that comes with those things, and He's going to give you the power to overcome those things. Um, So really examine, I think the soils are so good because it gives us a reason, a motive for really examining our state and say, okay, what soil am I? You know, what what am I clinging to that I shouldn't? Where am I being tried that I keep caving? All these things. Ask yourself these things. Paul says, examine yourself. See if you're really in the faith. But then being in the faith, examine yourself and say, hey, I still need to grow in sanctification. I want to be more like Christ. How can I do that? Okay. So let's go ahead and pray and ask God for help. Father, we thank you that you are our comforter. You're our helper. Lord, you don't leave us as orphans. You don't leave us to fend for ourselves out here. You don't don't tell us to go forth and and bear good fruit and and then watch from the sideline. We pray. Oh God, that you would continue helping us and strengthening us, especially your people. That you would help us to, to turn from any sin that's in our life, to turn from the, these different soils that we can so easily and so often get ensnared by and caught up in. That you would give us grace, oh God, to bear fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold in our families at work, in our personal lives, when no one is watching. That you would give us this grace with our, with our uh, relatives, our friends, all these, all these different areas, Lord, in, in evangelism. Lord, we want Christ to be honored and glorified in Clovis, New Mexico. And Lord, we know that you use people to do this. You use means to make this come about. And yet at the same time, Father, we confess that we're weak and impotent and absolutely helpless more helpless than any infant uh, when it comes to the things of Christ and in, 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 in producing this good fruit, Lord. So help us and, and, and give us grace to honestly examine ourselves, honestly grow in the things of Christ. Lord, I pray, especially for those who don't know you, I pray that you would open their eyes to that truth, Lord, that they see that, first and foremost, that they see that they're not right with you and that they would turn to you in faith, that they would cling to Christ 
Because where else would we go but the one who has the words of eternal life? So give us grace, O God. Strengthen us. Help us to have our armor on. Protect especially your people who are going through trials and tribulations and attacks from the enemy. Lord, we know that we have targets on our back. So give us grace, O God. Help us. Thank you for this encouragement from Christ. And give us grace to remain in the vine. In Christ's name, amen. All right, let's go ahead and stand up and we'll sing our doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise.